Welcome to Upfront, the podcast. I'm Katie Hannan. On this week's Upfront, we debated how we should be responding to the rise of the far right. That's, of course, in the wake of those very ugly scenes uh, with the protests outside Leinster House last week. So on this week's podcast, I am delighted uh, to be joined by the Kerryman at large, uh, CNN correspondent Donny O'Sullivan, uh, who has been investigating the rise of the far right in American politics. Is it fair to say you've made it your life's work, Donny, to uh, get underneath what's happening on the more extreme ends of the political spectrum in uh, the US? Uh, hi, Katie. Thank you for having me. Um, goodness, maybe, maybe I suppose it is. I've definitely spent the past few years uh, somehow ended up doing this. But uh, yeah, it's been very, very eye opening. You were obviously doing very well there anyway. But for a lot of people, what they remember you and associate you very strongly with January 6th in in in, in Washington and what happened that day. And cause it, it's still thinking, looking back on it, the most shocking thing uh, in terms of uh, what we would have seen as a very mature democracy being attacked in that way by, by its own people. Yeah. And look, I mean, I kind of started... Uh almost 10 years ago now, working on all this kind of misinformation stuff um, with uh, Storyful with Mark Little, formerly uh, of your parish there, um, and kind of over the years. And of course, we saw there was the 2016 election where a big focus here was how, you know, Russian trolls or so-called trolls were kind of try to push buttons in the US. And then the 2020 election, of course, was uh, you know, all about these false claims of voter fraud and whatnot. For me, it was over COVID. I remember watching a um, Jim Acosta, one of my colleagues at CNN, he was at a Trump rally. Trump started, you know, doing his rallies again uh, pretty early in COVID. It was summer 2020. And Jim asked um, a person who was at this rally, you know, was the person afraid that they might catch COVID at this big event? The guy wasn't wearing a mask or whatever. And the guy said something along the lines of, oh, COVID doesn't exist. It's a hoax. Um, and I've, I, of course, had been kind of seeing all of this stuff online from behind the computer screen. Um, and I really wanted to kind of get out into the country in the US to really ask, well, why do you really believe that? And f- the first question I actually asked people was, could I see their Facebook feeds? Would they open up their Facebook feed uh, so I could see kind of what information they were getting? Um, so yeah, I was really on the road for, for the kind of five or six months leading up to January 6th. And I think, you know, you're right. I think what happened on January 6th very much was, um, almost in some ways, of course, was surprising and shocking, but it's almost a natural conclusion, uh, of all of these kind of lies and conspiracy theories. I mean, if you're telling people their democracy is stolen, um, and the election has been rigged, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what else are you kind of expecting people to do if they truly believe in this stuff, which a lot of them do? Talk to us about some of the more far out conspiracies, I suppose the, the big ones, the Pizzagate um, and, and the QAnon phenomenon. Yeah. And I mean, I will say that for me, kind of covering this area, you know, QAnon first popped up in 2017, I think it was. Um, and as a reporter, I was watching it f- 
for a long time. But um, me and my editors would often say, well, you know, there's always a balance here when you're reporting on these things, right? Because you don't want to, um, you know, give them bigger credence than they should get or, or in some ways amplify these kind of fringe theories. Um, so for me, for a long time, all this QAnon stuff, I was like, I don't think it's, you know, I know it's out there, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm not sure we should be putting it on CNN and potentially giving it a bigger audience than it should would, would otherwise get. Um, but then all of a sudden, you know, you see the Q sign showing up at Trump rallies. Uh, you see uh, politicians start mentioning this kind of stuff. Uh, and in some ways, you know, there'd be times where <laughs> I would be at Trump rallies and things and hear something almost too crazy uh, from a voter. Uh, and we'd say, OK, well, we can't put that on air because that's way too out there. Uh, but then Trump would turn around himself <laughs> a week or two later and say the same thing <laughs> over the airways. So uh, it's 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 hard to, um, you know, the things that seem absolutely fringe and crazy uh, seem to be further and further infecting the mainstream. And a lot of it is being pulled by characters like Trump. To what degree are we protected from this in Ireland because we don't have a Trump? We don't have mainstream political leaders, you know, shining shining the way, you know, shining a light here for, for people to believe these kind of conspiracies. Yeah, I mean, I think that is a huge part of it, right? Because... Um, thankfully, as you say, at the moment, there isn't kind of people in the doll who are really uh, pushing this stuff. However, uh, you know, I guess it's it's not a time to be complacent about it. And I think often at times as Irish people, um, you know, we sometimes can look to the US and say, oh, my God, that place is crazy. Uh, you know, that would never happen here in Ireland. Um, but, you know, you kind of see some of this stuff manifesting. And I, I know you spoke about it on, on your TV show during the week, um, where, of course, uh, over COVID, I think uh, a lot of people, all of us, especially, you know, very tough lockdowns in, in Ireland, um, people's window to the world was their computer screens and their phones. Um, and in that moment of kind of, you know, anxiousness and, and so much uncertainty, that's really where I think conspiracy theories can kind of come in and shine. And I think we saw that all here and I, I think also in Ireland over COVID where conspiracy theories can offer easy answers to very difficult questions uh, and kind of fill that gap of the unknown. Um, so while there might not be political leaders right now, at least pushing it in Ireland, uh, you can see that there is a kind of grassroots movement, I suppose, online that is pushing this. And also, you know, I've frankly done no reporting on, on this issue in Ireland as such, but undoubtedly um, you can, you know, I would, I would bet money that there are forces in the UK uh, and in the US who are looking at what is happening in Ireland and are either encouraging it or pushing it themselves or potentially funding it, because that's what we've seen you know, all around the world. We've, we've seen that with in the UK where the US right is, is, was pushing stuff also in Italy and, and other places. So, um, you know, there may not be these characters in the doll at the moment, but there are forces, no doubt, um, trying to make, trying to popularize this kind of thing in Ireland. 
talk to me then about your uh, documentary that it just aired on CNN uh, last weekend, uh, Waiting for JFK Report from the Fringe. Now, this is just, I mean, so fascinating and so sad. Like, really, sadness is what you come away from it, having watched it. But just tell people what it's about first. Yeah. Um, so about two years ago, um, around around the anniversary of JFK's assassination, a few hundred people showed up at Daly Plaza, the grassy knoll in Dallas, where uh, JFK was assassinated. Um, and, you know, nobody had kind of heard about this event, why all these people had kind of come out of nowhere and gathered and so local news crews and local journalists kind of heard about this, rushed to the scene to figure out what was going on. And basically what they learned was that there was all these people were there waiting for JFK or waiting for his son, JFK Jr., who died in a plane crash in 1999. Um, and it became clear that this was some kind of like QAnon offshoot type group that believed uh, that the Kennedys uh, were working with Trump in some kind of way to save America. And, you know, one of the more popular understandings of this is that JFK Jr. saw that his dad was assassinated, uh, faked his own death. So JFK Jr. faked his own death and is was working with Trump in the background and is going to kind of come back and kick out Biden. Now, look, <laughs> there are so many questions to answer there. I mean, clearly... Also, the Kennedys are Democrats, as we know, and exactly. Trump is a Republican. Um, but, you know, as I always say, and I hope people watching the documentary, I mean, trying to actually rationalize those beliefs themselves, I think, is almost just a distraction. And I think we probably spend too much time trying to figure out, OK, well, why do they believe that? Um, but what we wanted to do was was kind of actually talk to um, the families and of, of people who have these beliefs uh, and really try to figure out not, you know, why, you know, not what they believe exactly, but why they believe this stuff, what might have led them to that. Um, so we kept, uh, this happened first happened two years ago and I was kind of keeping an eye on it. Again, it was kind of one of those things where I think, you know, we kind of talked about it on CNN, late night comedians here in the US kind of joked about it type thing. But I was keeping an eye on it. And of course, surprise, surprise, Katie, neither of the Kennedys showed up that day two years ago in Dallas. Um, so most most of the people there kind of went home, went on with their lives. Um, disappointed, I'm sure, that JFK didn't show up. Um, but then we saw a, a small group kind of stayed uh, and they stayed with this guy. There was this guy, Michael Protzman was his name, who was kind of leading them and telling them, no, no, wait. And so you had a situation where you had a lot of people who kind of just basically stayed in Dallas with this guy uh, for months at a time and had left their families behind. And um, so it's those families we wanted to speak to. So, you know, on the face of it, of course, this is such a crazy belief and it's just easy to laugh at it. But if you're if you've lost a son or daughter or mom or dad to this, I mean, it's it's obviously no joke. Yeah, and and I want to talk to you about the way you talk to those 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 people, some of the people who actually did believe this um, in a minute. But first, I want you to answer an upfront question for me. Uh oh. Um, give me a number between one and fifteen. Seven. I bet people always use seven. 
Actually, they don't usually. It goes oh. for seven, which is uh, which was my favorite number. One book you think everyone should read? I'm reading a great book at the moment by Joseph O'Connor um, about uh, a Kerryman, about Monsignor Hugh O'Flaherty, who was the Scarlet Pimpernel of the Vatican, uh, was born in uh, Carsabine, uh, and during the Second World War, he kind of helped... Um, uh, Jews and other people hide from the Nazis and ran this kind of whole covert network around Rome. Um, there's some great uh, factual books about him, kind of bio- biographical, uh, but this Joseph O'Connor version is, is you know, f- dramatized, but based on the true story. Um, and of course, I can't remember the name of the book. <laughs> so you have, you have to <laughs> Google Joseph O'Connor and... Uh, Hugh O'Flaherty and you'll find the name of the book. <laughs> Do you read a lot of Irish writers, you know, while while you're based over there? Um, I, uh, you know, honestly, I was quite, I go through spells of reading and not reading, but the past six months or so, I've been very good. Um, and yeah, I, I've read uh, uh, Colin McCann, who's actually based over here, just read something uh, by him uh, a few months ago. Also, of course, cannot remember the name of that. Um but uh, yeah, so I kind of I'm so always... glad I'm not the only one who has this affliction. I, <laughs> even books that I like, I, I find myself enthusing about books and thinking, OK, what was it called again? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so at the moment, at the moment, I'm really trying to nerd out and I'm reading uh, a fiction book and, and, and a factual book at the same time. Um, and so I definitely find with, uh, you know, like Colin McCann's or Joseph O'Connor's, um, it's a nice, definitely a nice escape from from everything here. Because look, you know, if you're doing anything else, you're turning on the TV, you're turning on social media. It's uh, you're kind of stuck in it here, you know. Go back to uh, your doc then, and these people who had really this extraordinary belief that mm. JFK Junior was alive, and there was this bloodline connection between JFK and. Trump and I think Elvis was mentioned in some cases. Yes, of course. Yeah. And you're interviewing some of these people. And and I think this people will remember this from January 6th as well, that you kind of approach it with a sort of a kind of a naive sort of, you know, what's going on here kind of, <laughs> kind yeah. of uh, a way about it. A kind of, and there's a touch of the Louis Thoreau, in, I think, in, in, in this doc. You've got people on the sofa and they're very open with you about... You know, and there's no embarrassment or no sort of hostility in the in the engagement at all. Do you ever feel like I'm I'm going to I'm being very sincere with these people. I'm but when I put this on cable television, people will will laugh at these people. Will 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 know these 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 people will be mocked. I mean, I think, uh, the you know the a lot of the people I interview, um, frankly, they're used to being laughed at or mocked. Or being, in their view, talked down to. Um, and kind of what I find is that when I'm speaking to them, they're, they know. I mean, they're not, uh, as, as much as people would like to think that they're stupid or maybe crazy. Um, you know, a lot of these people in every other way are quite functioning members of society. A lot of them have families, businesses, you know, jobs. Um but with this one or two things, you know, something clicks and they go off. Um, 
So for the most part, I actually find that, that you know, a lot of the folk, of course, there's exceptions, but a lot of the folks, they know what they're getting into. They're talking to CNN, um, but they truly believe this stuff and they want to talk about it. And they're frankly kind of happy that somebody um, is listening. Um, you know, I never try and go into this, and especially with this documentary, was not trying to make a fool of anybody or, or um anything like that because again you know i think it's easy for us to write off all of these people as quacks and crazies uh, and just laugh at them um but again the fact is that you know they're human beings with uh kids and moms and dads and brothers and sisters um and so i think um you know i think it's really important especially in, in america but probably at home in ireland too uh, to really try and figure out and understand why, you know, why have people uh, got to this point? What, what's your sense of what's driving a lot of this? You know, you've 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 seen it up front. You spoke to these people about other things. That, you know, at, at that time, you get a sense of where they're coming from. I think, you know, over the years, um, whether it's people believing stuff about elections or vaccines, or QAnon, or that JFK is not dead. If you really talk to people and get into it, I think a lot of it comes down to community. Everybody's looking to be part of something. Uh, and again, I think especially over COVID, we were all kind of forced into isolation, and it really exacerbated, I think, um, you know, the the feelings of loneliness that we might already have. And I think, you know, if if people get to to watch this um, documentary, I think it's going to be repeated on CNN International at some point and should be on some streaming thing at some point soon. But, um, you know, I think you'll see that the group that believes that JFK is alive or JFK Jr. is alive and they've left their family and they're living in Dallas, they're all actually having a great time. <laughs> you know, they're having, a, you know, there is a real sense of community there. They all... They found their tribe. They found their tribe, exactly. Um, and, you know, they're having a good time. They all, they're all misunderstood in some way by others, in their view. Uh, and finally, they found a group that not only understands them, but also they have this piece of information. They're the only people who can see, you know, that JFK is really alive or JFK Jr. is really alive and nobody else gets this, nobody else gets me, but I have this. Um, and so there is that sense of of community uh, and bond there. I would also say that, you know, there obviously, as you know, from rep reporting out things like this, we learned a lot of information that we couldn't put on TV, etc. But for the most part, broadly, you know, of, of the people I really got to know who were into this thing uh, or their families, you know, a lot of folks had gone through some kind of trauma, whether it's childhood trauma uh, or something uh, more recent, um, you know, like a divorce or things like that. So I think it's in those vulnerable moments um, that people uh, kind of seek out the irrational Um and without getting too philosophical about it, um, I think, uh, you know, kind of back to the the approach that I would like to think I have of, of empathy and trying to understand this is, yeah, I've spoken a little bit before um, uh, about, you know, my own mental health and things like that. And I think that, you know, 
we all kind of we all like to think that we would never go off and believe in QAnon and JFK is alive, etc. But I think a lot of us have had irrational thoughts and irrational beliefs in our lives, whether it's, um, you know, it can be de- something deeply personal if you're going through depression or an anxiety. Uh, you know, you can believe irrational things about yourself or your loved ones. And that oftentimes comes, you know, in the context of a moment of angst and, and a moment of you're trying to understand things and trying to so I think for a lot of a lot of folks, it's they found themselves going through something very personally difficult. And this just happens to be the set of irrational beliefs that they are taking comfort in and maybe taking take using as a distraction to whatever else is going on in their life. It's just when you say that it just does, you know, if we were going to be sort of going eye rolling at, you know, Americans, they'd believe anything kind of thing. Uh, I remind us of the moving statues. Exactly. And, uh, not coincidentally, it was a it was a very dark time for a lot of people in Ireland. You know, the the, the mid 80s, the, the 80s, yeah. you know, kind of grim enough time. And every single person who went along to see and claimed they saw a statue move doesn't really have a leg to stand on really in, in this debate I think I just wonder how, what, do you think we would be vulnerable here to some of the the kind of conspiracy far right uh, manipulation that has happened to these people in, in, in the States well I mean I think so because you can kind of see it slipping in a bit already right obviously the US is so so far down the road already on this um but also to your point of um you know getting back to the point of community and actually the u.s surgeon general here which is like i guess the country's top doctor as such um recently put out a a kind of health notice a public health notice and i think he called loneliness uh in the u.s at reaching epidemic levels um and so uh you know, there's, uh, I know there's, you know, I know from growing up in rural Ireland, there's a lot of isolation. Um, and as we all spend more and more time online and, and this sort of thing is already kind of coming into the, you know, these sort of um, belief systems are being promoted online. I think we're all a bit at risk of it. And I'll also say that, uh, you know, tangentially, but to your point about the church um, is, again, uh for all the rights and wrongs of the church, you know, that's, that's a community. Uh, obviously we know in Ireland, they're dwindling, uh, uh church attendance, etc. certainly at least where, where I'm from, Carcerine. Um, and that, that's kind of been interesting here in the U S too, because I, we did a story a few years back actually, where we went to some evangelical churches. Um, but the, the, and I, the the preachers pastors there are actually telling us that they were losing uh members because people had essentially found a new religion and that religion was QAnon and they were finding this community there um and in some ways actually you know they said and there was a bit of you know obviously evangelical preachers a lot of them are are very very far out there but we managed to talk to some um at least kind of seemingly moderate or um uh compassionate uh pastors 
And there was a bit of self-awareness there too, where they said, you know, perhaps the way we are as a church aren't understanding enough or welcoming enough or, um, you know, almost too strict and formal in our practices. And that's why people are finding it easier to connect with these communities online. So, you know, I think a lot of it goes back to is 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 how do we figure out a way in this 21st century of communication and screens and everything where we're still actually connected at a human level in person with people? Because that is what I see over and over time and time again is what people are looking for. But do you connect it at all, though, with the political situation in that what we, we hear is that what was missed really by political coverage in the run up to, to the Trump presidency, which was, you know, the whole swathes of people feeling completely left behind, feeling that nobody was representing them politically. And they were basically searching for um, a demigod figure that would, you know, that that, that would, you know, that, that they felt could see them. They, uh, this all the people that just felt not seen. And, and here, I suppose, the, the equivalent would be the housing crisis and, uh, you know, all the people who've been caught up in that. Oh, I mean, 1000% uh, this is all happening in the broader political framework here of uh, where you have, you know, the leader essentially of the Republican Party, at one time leader of the free world, uh, pushing this kind of stuff. So, you know, it just all exacerbates and builds on, on top of each other. Um, you know, people here are feeling lonely or their life's not going so good and they're finding this stuff online, which seems to add answers. And then they have political leaders and others dog whistling or straight up just saying, um, you know, yes, you're right to the reason that you are disillusioned, disaffected and poor um, and your life isn't going good uh, is not because of you know these political decisions etc it's because there's a a much grander plan which is out there to get you um and yeah i mean it would be great if we lived in a country where you know the parties were more focused on trying to actually solve the problems these people's problems than they are you know um trying to villainize the other side i guess yeah. What would you report on then, though, Johnny? I have to come home, I suppose. <laughs> uh, give, give us uh, give us another number between one and 15. OK, four. OK, this is the classic one. Who would be your number one guest for a dinner party, alive or dead? JFK. <laughs> um, but we don't know if he's alive <laughs> or dead, do we? Uh, Senior or junior? <laughs> um, I who would it be? Uh, God, like I mean, the the people. There's just terrible kind of people from history coming to mind. To be honest, um, uh, you know, the likes of, of of Hitler and and others, just to say put them on the spot it wouldn't be a very it wouldn't be you know a very fun dinner um but we'll go with jfk we'll go with jfk for this one and we'd have uh maybe we'd do it down uh in new ross at the homestead <laughs> you must have spoken at that have you the the, the kennedy was, festival down there i was down there a few years ago yeah um i mean somebody there uh, and we actually went back there um Earlier this year, before Biden came over to Ireland, we did a kind of story on the, you know, history of Irish roots 
American presidents. Uh, and somebody uh, in New Ross said to me something along the lines of, you know, uh, Kennedy was here for 42 minutes, uh, 58 years ago, and we're still talking about it, uh, which is crazy. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think uh, it's, it, there is that really special connection there, um, which is which is nice. We have no Kerry, we have um, no Kerry U.S. president yet, but maybe one day, maybe the Healy Rays will expand the franchise at some point. Yeah, you'd have to hope. Uh, <laughs> um, do you think post January six? Because watching that from this remove, you think, okay, this is it. This will, this will, uh, you know, bring people to their senses. Now, you know, it was all fun and games until somebody loses an eye, kind of thing. What, what? Do you is your sense of the impact that January six has had on that whole far right, alt right political scene? I don't. I don't know if it was a wake up call, really. Um, bizarrely, um, I think we have seen, and there's of course been, you know, recently where Trump's been getting arrested and arraigned and all this stuff. There's been the expectation on the part of law enforcement and media and others that there would be these kind of bigger protests that could turn potentially violent. Um, and we haven't seen that materialize. Um, I'm not convinced that that is because of people saying, OK, yeah, you know, this has all gone too far. Um, because you can see in Trump's poll numbers that he's not <laughs> particularly less popular than he was before all of this. I think it's because the, you know, the. FBI here has really pursued prosecutions um, against people who took part in, in January 6th um, and broke the law that day. And so I think that has had, that's frankly scared, you know, a lot of these people that, you know, they don't want to go. They're, they're, they're willing to fight for their country if it means smashing a few windows, but they don't really want to go to jail. Um, so I don't know. I, I think going into next year's election, you know, there's obviously a very particular set of circumstances around January 6th, I think was also kind of exacerbated by COVID and everything else. Um, but that is not to say that, you know, another unique set of circumstances might not emerge, might emerge in, in 24, 25, where, you know, if Trump loses, again, it's hard to, hard to see him, hard to see him accepting that. Uh, and, this time there's almost more on the line because, you know, he's facing uh, all these court cases and charges. So, you know, he could be backed into a corner. He could be desperate. Um, and, you know, the, the, the kind of rhetoric that we saw in, in 2020 might only be a, a um, preview of what's to come. Can I ask you about uh, Twitter or I suppose we have to say X now, do we? Uh, I know you were actually suspended briefly as your badge of honour. Yes, by, yeah. uh, f because you took too much too much of an interest in Mr. Elon Musk's activities. That's a worry, though, isn't it? Coming into the next election in the States and indeed coming into elections all over the, here and everywhere uh, in terms of the, the move away from any attempt to regulate uh, the, these platforms now. Yeah, um, you know, I think it's it's one of those things. I think Musk has done to the world of kind of social media and online discourse, what Trump has kind of done to the Republican Party in that it kind of moved the goalposts and shift the standards so far down that 
you know, anything that was might have been seemed totally unacceptable before is kind of now, well, that's, you know, that that's fine. So I, I think, you know, I think in the US in, in 2016, after we learned about really the kind of pretty sophisticated stuff um, that the Russians were doing on social media where they were setting up all these front organizations and everything like that, pretending to be American activists. That's not to suggest, by the way, that, that's, that you know, I think it's overblowing it to say that Russia changed the election by using social media, et cetera. That's, you know, in terms of the trolling, but this stuff did happen. Um, and so the social media platforms, I think, kind of took note of that. And by 2020, they at least tried uh, there was at least some kind of stuff where they were trying to crack down on misinformation and things like that. Um, some would say they went a bit too far. Uh, in some cases, it depends. Um, but yeah, now it just seems to be with, with Musk, it's just uh, all of that has gone by the wayside. And that's also allowed, I think, the other companies like Meta or Google to say, well, you know, uh, if, if Twitter can get away with not doing this stuff, uh, we can get away with kind of dropping our standards a bit too. Um, obviously, they wouldn't publicly say that, but, uh, you know, there's less pressure on them. Do you think the Russians would bother with, with Lolos <laughs> here? I mean, do we need to worry about what might happen here in terms of outside actors interfering with our next elections? Yeah, and look, I mean, I think one, as we talk about the kind of outside interference, uh, as I always say in the US, there's plenty uh, of enough people within the US who are pushing BS and divisiveness and everything else that they don't really need much fuel to be added to the fire. Uh, but it still happens, of course, um, uh, in some ways sophisticated, other ways not so sophisticated. Um, and, you know, I, I think if you look at, at Russia's broader goals, um, uh, you know, when it comes to Europe and everything else, I mean, they 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 do want to push divisiveness uh, within Europe. Saw a bit about that kind of around Scotland and things like that, referendum, Brexit, a little bit of dipping the tone there. So, I mean, I think it would certainly, you know, it would be uh, complacent if they didn't try to, uh, especially as the debate around the United Ireland and things intensifies that uh, they would at least have some kind of um, interest in that. I do know from, you know, there's been a little bit of reporting and, and I often... Oftentimes, I hear, you know, the big platforms like Facebook, they'll publish every few months reports saying, here's kind of all the accounts. Sometimes it's thousands of accounts that fake accounts that we've been able to tie to the Russian government or Chinese government or Venezuelan government um, targeting people all around the world. Um, and in a few times with Russian stuff, and some of this has been reported a bit in Ireland, that there has been like some fake accounts that are designed to look like Irish people, uh, people in Ireland. Um, so, you know, I think that there's certainly that possibility. But to your to your point, uh, and I, I think a bit like the US, you know, um, uh, we're more than capable to of creating our own divisiveness. We don't need the Russians for that. <laughs> exactly. um, uh, OK, one last question. Uh, one to 15. Um, uh, 11. What piece of advice would you give to your 21 year old self? Spend less time on Camden Street. Spend less time on Harcourt Street, specifically. <laughs> um, uh, the bleeding yeah. horse? I don't know what was on Harcourt Street. Uh, Harcourt oh, is... Not... D2s and Dicey's and everything Coppers. Else. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, what would I give that 21? Uh, probably just, you know, uh, something cliche along the lines of, uh, you know, things will work out, things will be okay. Um, but, you know, it's hard to, nobody's going to believe that when you're 21. Uh, at least I wouldn't. So, um, yeah. I have nothing, nothing too profound to say on that. Okay, quick fire round. So, Donny, are you standing by? Have you got your finger on the buzzer? I do. Favorite holiday. Favorite holiday. When I was a kid, it was Trabalgan. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, bacon and bacon and cabbage or sushi? Uh oh, um, Jesus, I'd go with sushi now. Um, so ah, there you Donny, go. Donny, Donny, Donny. Well, here's I don't like cars. I've been now. I like I like everything else, but uh, my mother would tell you I wouldn't. For some reason, I had a bacon cabbage thing in my head that I'd eat anything but bacon and cabbage. So now, though, I love bacon. So maybe, Uh, but yeah, we'll go with uh, living up to uh, the uh, mainstream corporate media stereotype. I'll say sushi. Uh, Board game. Snakes and ladders. Salty or sweet? Salty. Would you beat me at cards? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not <so> a <laughs> Very important information. Tony, uh, uh, thanks a million. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, I really <laughs> appreciate it. And uh, hello to everybody at home. And that was CNN's Tony O'Sullivan. Thanks for listening to the Upfront podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, you can message us on social media at RTE Upfront or via WhatsApp. Our WhatsApp number is 87 677 And don't forget to tune into Upfront on Monday evening at 10.35 on RTE One and on the RTE Player. I'll speak to you then. Mm-hmm.